Hello and welcome to Making Problems to Solve, the podcast about curiosity, creativity, and problem solving. Today I'm talking to Chelsea Anderson, also known as Chelsea Makes on Instagram. How are you doing? Hey Dave, I'm doing good. Oh, glad you could make it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. One of the things I always like to start with is uh, try to figure out like where you got started in uh, creating things. Yeah. I mean, I feel like my whole family has always been, been pretty creative. Like even as a kid, we would just do like tons of little craft projects. Um, but I am specifically a miniaturist. And so I spent a lot of my time with my sister as a little kid making things for our Barbies and didn't really think that would ever translate to something as an adult, but I'm very glad that it did. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And did you, um, did you have any sort of, um, other creative outlets? Did you do anything, uh, music or anything, uh, any other thing like that? Um, I, I am a failed violinist. <laughs> there was many attempts at that in, in, in school. Um, I did do like musical theater and stuff, but honestly, like I just loved coming home from, from school or work, whatever, and just kind of making things with my hands. So I feel like it was always pretty clear that that was the type of, the type of creativity that I, that I wanted to follow. Okay. And did you uh, have anyone who did any, you know, kind of stuff in a workshop uh, growing up? My dad had a small workshop. Um, and primarily we would bring stuff down there and just like disassemble it rather than putting <laughs> things together. But I mean, there was always craft supplies, but, you know, even just things like, you know, scrap wrapping paper and scrap pieces of fabric. So there was always materials lying around, even if it wasn't like a full on workspace. Okay, so you just basically would take whatever you could find uh, hanging around and uh, <laughs> turn it into uh, whatever your uh, imagination uh, could think of? Yeah, and I think that's that's also kind of the benefit of miniatures is you don't really need a lot of big tools or a lot of a lot of materials. So that probably has something to do with the, the scale of the uh, type of making I do. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, you don't need a giant workshop. <laughs> you don't need... Uh, you know, the table saw or anything. <laughs> you just, yeah. Uh, Although I will say now at this point, I, I have amassed a, a pretty, pretty unique set of small tools, but, but back yeah. then it was just scissors and whatever I could find. Oh, of course. Yeah. I can imagine that, you know, once you, uh, once you, you know, keep exploring the topic, you're going to find out that there <laughs> are specialty tools that, uh, that nobody else needs. Definitely. <laughs> things that small. Cool. And growing up, did you take any um, art classes or anything uh, in school? Um, You know, I always felt like our school kind of lacked in that. I mean, there was just some basic courses, but um, I actually ended up going to school to be a landscape architect because to me that seemed like a, a pretty strong balance of a definite career path and also something creative. And once I got to college, that's when there was a lot more access to like interesting tools and things. That's where I learned about laser cutting and learned a little bit about 3D printing and 3D design. So I feel like it wasn't it wasn't right away like in, in elementary and high school, but once I got to college it really opened the door. Okay. Um I never would have thought of uh, landscape architecture. What made you uh decide <laughs> on that? How did you even know that was a, a an option of a career? Yeah, that's a great question because I didn't. I I had a initially planned that I wanted to go to school for photography and kind of had a bad 
interaction with my guidance counselor who basically told me like, that's not a job. And it was just not a very helpful guidance from someone who's supposed to be <laughs> helping sure. you figure out your life. Um, but, you know, my my best friend's grandfather was a landscape architect. And, and so he kind of told me, oh, like I designed parks and I designed benches. And so it kind of had, it felt like enough creativity that would kind of satiate that need. Ultimately, though, you know, as when I was working as a landscape architect, I didn't feel like it really scratched that creativity itch. So ultimately, I am no longer a landscape architect, but it was a good place to start because it taught me a lot of interesting tools. Right. I think that that makes sense. There's a lot of different uh, ways to use uh, your creativity. And I'm sure, you know, obviously there's some amazing parks and, you know, outside spaces that are designed by landscape architects, but, you know, you don't actually get your hands on things yeah, when you're exactly. doing that, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, mostly just sitting behind the computer and and so it's definitely something you miss. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Computer that's gotta be tough. <laughs> yeah, I just talked to um um some last week, someone who's an architect and they went and changed careers. Oh uh, so. <laughs> I guess it must be it must be a similar story. Yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. It, honestly, like there is something very relaxing about sitting behind the computer. Like I, I do that all the time when I'm designing things in 3D to be miniaturized or designing laser cut files. But when you're just doing it for, I don't know, like a wastewater treatment plant and that, that <laughs> gets old very fast. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of landscape do you design around a wastewater treatment plant? <laughs> Um, mostly just plants that nobody will maintain and don't need any water and not, not, uh, (laughs) mostly just, they want to just hide things the best they can. Right. That's what I was kind of thinking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, how can we make this not look like what it actually is? Right. Yes. It'll hide everything, but it requires absolutely no water and no maintenance. So. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Because they don't have a, they don't have a a staff to do that. They're busy doing other things. Yeah. Yes. Her drinking water. And yes, water. yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it's unfortunate that you didn't have uh, that experience in school. Um, there's, I talk to a lot of art teachers, and so I'm always encouraged that there are definitely art teachers out there. And, you know, the, a lot of people do have that option or see examples of people doing, you know, creative jobs, you know, while they're growing up. So. Yeah. yeah, you know, I, I think about it so pretty frequently, actually, because I, when I first started working in miniatures, I went to a local high school when we had lived in California, and they had an amazing wood shop and all of these amazing tools. And I was like, man, I don't know why, like, we didn't have any of this. And I mean, I don't, I don't, I just think it, it comes down to budget, but there's also so many things that can be done with just like scrap materials. So I, I, I definitely encourage art teachers. And I think a lot of art teachers now are doing this. Just like mm-hmm. use what, what you have instead of just kind of doing it sort of in the abstract. Right. So I'm curious. So you said you've been working, you know, with small things um, all along. <laughs> Do you remember any lessons or anything you learned uh, trying to, you know, make stuff for your dolls that you, you know, still use today? Like things that you... <laughs> That's a great question. No one's ever asked me that. Let me think about that. Um, uh, I, you know, <laughs> I used to use some, I didn't have um, like clay back then. And I would always just mix flour and water. Mm-hmm. And 
I think about that every now and then because I have never found a material that has the texture of that mixture. So I probably should break out those skills, but I haven't. Um, but honestly, just like I would use all the most random things, like a, a little piece of um, like wallpaper sample. And that definitely still reigns true today. Like I'll, I will save the most <laughs> mundane or bizarre object for future use. And I think that has served me really well. Yeah, that's uh, that's great to hear. And so some of the, some of the stuff you do, you design objects um, for other people. Yeah. Either like through you know you make some files for laser cut and stuff like that that you you know share with other people, and then you also do some projects for um, like commercial clients. Yeah, I think at this point my my career is kind of diversified in that one pocket of it is me creating digital files and a lot of times that just comes from me creating something that I want to make and then either getting requests to to sell the file or just feeling like this is something I want other people to have but not having the bandwidth to to make a bunch of them and and sell right. a physical product because that get, that gets definitely wearing and it start to lose the excitement when you're making the same thing over and over but yeah, the other part of my business is that I create miniature branded products and I usually do stop motion or a like um, behind the scenes video of how it was created. And that is honestly, that's probably the, the larger portion of my work. And it's so much fun because sometimes you just get stuck on what you want to make. And so if you have a client coming in and saying, hey, I have this idea and you can bring it to life, that is just it's really fun and challenging and it forces you to learn new skills. So I, I really love leaning into that portion of my, of my job. That's great. How did you learn to do stop motion? Did you, are you self-taught? Did you? <laughs> no, I actually, it is kind of a weird, funny coincidence story, but I, when I first started getting back into miniatures as an adult, I was selling dollhouse kits and I reached out to a local stop motion artist who I was really inspired by and had plans to hire her. So we met up for lunch and I'm telling her about what I want to hire her for. And she's like, wait, you make miniature sets? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, I need miniature sets. Oh, wow. So <laughs> it turned into this amazing friendship. Her name is Coco Perry or Colette Perry. And you can find her stop motion on, on Instagram. And she's just incredibly, incredibly talented. And she taught me everything from, from the basics of photography to all the equipment and, and tools you need to make a stop motion video. And honestly, it changed it changed the whole directory of my of my career because I probably wouldn't have left my job as a landscape architect and I probably would still be doing like physical objects to sell versus getting into this world of creating content, which is definitely different and also just such a nice place to kind of exercise all of those creative skills. Wow, that's really cool to just think that <laughs> yeah. Yeah lucky uh yes <laughs> yeah i know it really was a kind of crazy coincidence and we met that first day and we like learned that we were both getting married on the same day and had all these things in common and i was like man thank thank goodness i sent that instagram message because otherwise i wouldn't have this amazing friend for life yeah it's uh that's really cool that you were able to find someone you know and there was a local person that you found on instagram yeah. And I think honestly, that's, I found, you know, you find so many amazing creatives that way. I mean, obviously that's how, how you and I know each other, but 
it, it just opens so many doors and, and opens your eyes to all the types of things that can be made and all the tools that are out there. And it's basically having like experts in your corner at all time that you can just send a message and be like, hey, how, how would you do this? So it, it's pretty amazing. It is because I think uh, historically, maybe a lot of artists weren't super open with their techniques and stuff, thinking that, yeah. you know, that was, um, you know, the secret, you know, to their success. And um, totally, definitely. Yes. And again, there's obviously there's every person on every part of that spectrum of how much uh, of their process they want to share, how much, you know, time and energy they have to do that as well. Right. Um, but just uh, having just this larger community of people who all are able to find each other, you know, and I don't know why Instagram is the place for that. It's uh, yeah. definitely seems different. I mean, there's been people sharing stuff online for as long as the, you know, internet's been available, <laughs> right. um, but it's for some reason, Instagram seems to build that community more that just there's people who, I guess the people who are interested in sharing are able to find each other. Right. Yeah. That's, that makes a lot of sense because they're already out there sharing. So, you know, they're the kind of person that, that you can turn to. And it, it is really interesting too, because there are a lot of faults for social media. I mean, I curse it probably every day, but overall, I mean, I found so many amazing people that way. And I, a phrase that I always turn to is that you don't know what you don't know. And so if you don't know that a skill or, or a material is out there, you never, you're never going to try it because how, how else would you know about it? It's just such a great place to get introduced to new things. So for as much as I, as I, I hate it, I, I love it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's for sure. Said has given me like a lot more ideas and just ways to think about how to make things by seeing other people doing it and discovering you know, techniques and materials and seeing something and just being like, I think I can do that. Definitely. And, and collaborating too. I mean, there's so many people that I'll, I'll trade with or, you know, meet up with. And I think that's really, really incredible. I'm curious, how did you first to think that uh, turning miniatures could be some sort of job or business? <laughs> well, I, again, I was working as a landscape architect and I, I was actually taking a woodworking class at um, the local high school and I was really enjoying it because I had never, never, aside from like, you know, playing with like cardboard, making little cardboard tables as a kid, I never really looked into furniture design and really enjoyed it. But I was living in San Francisco or at the time the Bay Area and our apartment was extremely small. So after I made just one or two pieces of furniture, I was like, well, I guess that's the end of my woodworking career because There's there was no room to yeah. make anything else. And um, I wasn't quite ready to give up. So I I just started making thing, making miniature furniture and it kind of reopened my awareness of how much I loved it because it had been many years since I was a kid playing with my Barbies. And I was just like, oh my goodness, like this is so much fun. And so I just, you know, I did that alongside my landscape architecture job for as long as I could. And um, then I was really, really lucky enough in 2020 to to get cast on making it season three. And that really just gave me the confidence I needed to to leave my job and and see if I could take this crazy little career for a, for a ride. All right. What was the, do you remember what the first thing you sold was as a miniature? Oh, uh, that's a great question. 
you know, for a while I was making these really tiny lawn flamingos because my uh, <laughs> husband was not interested in us having full-size lawn flamingos. That was the only way I could have one in my garden. And honestly, I still I still stand by that as a really awesome idea. Like if you if you want to have a little potted plant, a tiny lawn flamingo, I mean that it, get, it doesn't get better than that. <laughs> that is a great idea. How did you how did you make that? What was it made out of? So I, I used polymer clay. And in the beginning, like when I didn't have a lot of the big tools, like I didn't have my laser cutter and, and whatnot, like polymer clay was really a great start because it's something you can just do with, you know, your hands and a toothpick and you can buy a little piece of polymer clay for a dollar fifty. So I think that's a, that's a really great start for, for anyone who's trying to get into miniatures. But um, at this point, it's, it's definitely like a, a very refined skill, which I have not mastered. So I've definitely <laughs> moved away from polymer clay. All right. Do you still uh, make flamingos or is that kind of moved on from that? <laughs> I have moved on from that. But now that we're talking about it, I feel like maybe I need to give it a second chance because I'm sure that my skills have developed significantly since that first flamingo. And it probably would look pretty cute inside. That's true. I mean, you could 3D print one. If you modeled it and 3D that's, printed it, it would be true. perfect. That's true. Yeah. Next generation yeah. Um, mini flamingos. <laughs> mm -hmm. it's, and it seems like a, you know, a good um, idea to, you know, for that, you know, the medium of 3D printing is, you know, yeah. whatever, small animals that live in your potted plants. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I still feel like I'm learning a lot with 3D printing. Like I've kind of mastered the the boxy objects, the more like, you know, like basic revolve. And, and I've done some shoes, which are really complicated, but I'm looking into getting into more, some more organic shapes. So I've got a lot to learn. And, and I think Flamingo is, is the perfect thing to practice on. Yeah, definitely. What do you use for modeling? Right now I use um, Fusion 360. And that is primarily because that's when I was working as a landscape architect and we were kind of doing some furniture design. That's what I had the most practice in. But even just yesterday, I, I, I reached out to you know ask people what kind of 3D modeling they were using. And there's so many different programs out there. So I'm not quite sure what's going to be the best one for those more organic shapes, because I think that might not be Fusion's strongest uh skill so we'll see i might have to pick up an entirely new program because what's one more program when you already have to know so many right yeah i'm i tried to do a sort of organic shape in fusion they do have like sculpting tools but yeah they're very confusing i couldn't figure it out and i ended up actually like importing that in, into blender which also is oh, almost an yeah, entirely Blender. incomprehensible program. Oh gosh! Okay, I was gonna say that was one of the most most um, recommended. So maybe it is. As, maybe. It, it's but yeah, it does seem like a learning curve for sure. Yeah, it is. You definitely have to put in the time to learn it, and it's. And I find that just programs, if it your brain, you know, picks up on the metaphors that the program is using, then you can you know you can learn it really quickly. But if yeah, it's there's not exactly a. <laughs> uh, you know the direct connection then it takes a little time to uh to learn it and it really i think probably helps to find um you know a tutorial or whatever that is you know geared towards your learning style and Absolutely, your model yeah. of how the program works yeah and i'm sure most of us are very visual learners so to me having having a youtube video and someone kind of walking through the process that's always how I, have i been learning any new program and I also really think that it's helpful to have an idea of what you want to make 
in mind. And maybe that's obvious to a lot of people. But if I if I sit down and say, I'm going to just learn this program, I'll never get it. But if I say, I'm going to learn this program specifically to make a singular potted plant mini flamingo, then it becomes a lot easier because you have a goal that you can kind of ask questions toward. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's even for learning anything. I think that's the really the way to go is that you have an idea of a project or something that you want to you want to see in the world and then you figure out, okay, what are the options? What are the materials I can use? What tools <laughs> do I have access to or can I, you know, get access to to make it? So it could be polymer clay or wood or metal, depending on what your experience is. And you know, sometimes you're gonna fall back on the things you already know. And sometimes right. you're going to, you know, explore something new. Yeah, exactly. So one of the things I saw is that you um, you were making small things, it says, for your hamster, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my hamster, Martin. Yeah, so right after I start, I switched over from full-size furniture to mini furniture, um, my husband decided that I needed a model because how how are you going to show the true impressiveness of the scale without a model? Right. So I think it was my 24th birthday or something. He's like, I have a surprise for you. And he pulls out this little cage, this little cage. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I was instantly in love with this little <laughs> hamster, Martin. And I had never had a hamster. So I, I was doing all this research on, um, you know, how to be a good hamster parent. And, and you know, the, the, the thing I saw that was like, you know, the, the best way to extend the life of your hamster is to give them a very stress-free, um, like, you know, interesting, there's things for them to learn. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, that means I should make him an entire miniature world because so his life will be fulfilling and stress-free. Mm -hmm. And so he ended up with a hamster enclosure that was proportionally to his body larger than our apartment was to us. So good on him. And filled with just all the tiny things. And then I would make him miniature scenes from all over the world so that he could travel and have a fulfilling life. And honestly, I I, I think he he had it pretty good. I mean, sadly, he's no longer with us. So it did not make him an eternal hamster. But he had a really good run. And he got to see, I think, I think he almost saw a country on every continent. So that's pretty impressive. That's more than I've traveled. So. Wow, that's incredible. I didn't know that his uh, experience was that um, that vast. That's, <laughs> that's incredible. I did put his travels into a little like children's book and my niece loves it. So it's nice to see him kind of living on in that way and still making people smile. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Is that something that uh, we can get a copy of? Yeah, yeah. I'll send you one. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> so when you were making that stuff for uh, Martin, were you... Um, making those available for other people or other hamsters to, uh, <laughs> at the time, I think that was kind of before I started selling really, I mean, I guess I was selling my dollhouses at the time. So in that sense, yes. I, and I still sell them there as kits. Um, they're pre-cut laser kits that you put together. And so he would enjoy the dollhouse in that sense, but there was a lot of other stuff that was very time consuming that, mm -hmm. um, Martin was the, the sole hamster to have access to. <laughs> That makes sense. Um, <laughs> do you still have any of uh, any of that stuff? Or? I do. Yeah, I have. Um, 
you know, a lot of it had to be disassembled when we, we moved across the country, but there's all of the smallest things. Like I did a little scene for him in Greece and I made these polymer clay <laughs> squids like hanging on a line, which is a like a, a pretty iconic scene. And so I still have those and definitely a lot of the smaller accessories. Like I made him a, a tiny passport. So I still have that. <laughs> oh, wow. Of course you have to keep that. <laughs> yes. Got to keep the passport. That's so much fun. <laughs> so it sounds like you were you were making these dollhouse kits. That was kind of one of the things that you were using to uh, share what you had learned with other people so they could have a similar experience. Yeah, exactly. Like once I came back into miniatures as an adult, I was like, man, I I love this and I want other people to be able to experience this. And at the time, um, this was probably close to seven or eight years ago. And there wasn't really a lot of modern miniatures on the market. So I felt like the things that I wanted to to see and make weren't available anywhere. So I started making these dollhouse kits and furniture kits. I sold them on Etsy. I sold them on my website, sold them in like a few local stores. And, you know, I, I think maybe I've sold a couple hundred in, in the past few years, but it's just nice knowing that they're out there and knowing that someone who doesn't know where to start has this place that they can just pick up a box and, and get started right away. Yeah, that's great. I think that that's, you know, one of the great goals is to make sure that people have access to, you know, these opportunities to <laughs> express themselves. Yeah. And it's fun. It's fun to, to share. I mean, I mean, we're always like sharing photos of our work, but if you can share the actual process, I think that's something that's really special. Yeah, definitely. Have you done any sort of teaching or anything? I did. Once I, um, once I graduated from that woodworking class, I, uh, I knew that they had a laser cutter that they weren't really using because they didn't have anyone who was available to train people on it. And I had my laser cutting experience from um, college. And so I came in and I was like, hey, you know, I, I can teach this class. And so I would teach, I think I taught, you know, maybe five rounds of adult education on laser cutting. And I think it was, it was really interesting because when you have to break it down to teach someone something else, you end up learning a lot for yourself right? and just learning what the best way is to to explain something which has translated now many years later into me teaching a domestica course which is like an online um education platform and also writing a book on how to make miniatures so it kind of it breaks it down and you have to really think about like someone who has never seen these tools and materials like what do they need to know and get through all the basics and in exchange for teaching that adult education class, I got to use the woodshop for free, which was amazing. There you go. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> excellent problem solving. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Can you imagine if you're trying to explain something to someone else, turn it, you know, and that you don't know what level of knowledge or skill they have. You have to go back in, think of all the things that you've learned and then really like figure out like, how, how did I how did I learn this and how can I, yeah. you know, how do these how things did I get here? <laughs> these concepts fit together and how can I, you know, you make sure that someone else makes that leap, you know, make right. those connections. And, and taking years of, of learning the process and condensing it into a, a two hour class, you know, there's definitely a, you gotta have to skip a lot of the, the high level stuff, but if you can get down to the basics, there's still something to be learned. That's cool. Yeah. So you talked about your book, um the what is it called the 
Yeah, my book is called 50 Makes for Modern Miniatures. And so it's got 50 tiny projects in it. And definitely it's geared towards beginners. So again, people who who have never made miniatures in their life, it talks through all of the tools, all of the materials, and the step-by-step instructions are extremely thorough, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of line drawings and little close-ups of tiny, tiny objects. And um, yeah, I'm really proud of it. Cool. What um, does it focus was this focused on certain materials or does it go through yeah i mean i wanted to make it accessible to to anyone so i really stuck with materials that i again thought people could have around their house um with a few exceptions so like a lot of it's paper and using recycled materials scraps of fabric but there are some uh, like a lot of the projects take use of um you know using like basswood or something that is easy to easy-ish to cut with hand tools, but also something that someone could just throw in their laser cutter if they, ha- if they do have one if they're at that, they're at that level. Okay, so it gives you different options on how to accomplish the same task if you have a laser or if you just have a, a X-Acto knife. Yeah, I, I mean, everything is geared towards doing it by hand, but at the end of the book, I provide templates. So, okay. and they're also available online. So if you did have a, a machine or you, you just wanted to try out a, a full-size table saw on your miniature, <laughs> miniature <laughs> projects, you could print out those templates and, and then work from there. All right. That makes, uh, that makes perfect sense. So I'm curious, you said that, um, you know, being on the show, making it gave you the confidence. How, how did that, you know, what do you think uh, was the, the, you know, I guess the idea or what, how did you come to that conclusion? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I I was a fan of making it from from the first season, and I, you know, I, I had applied season two and I didn't get on, and I almost was like, you know, I I can't deal with this rejection; <laughs> it's too much. Right. But I was like, I'm gonna give it. I'm just gonna try one more time, and I got on. And the whole time, the first, you know, the first three quarters of the show, I'm thinking to myself, like, I it is a mistake that I'm here. They, they let me in by accident. Like (laughs) I'm a miniaturist. Like I don't make big things. I don't know what they're thinking, letting me on this show, but you know, time went on episodes passed and I was still there. And the people that were, you know, being eliminated ahead of me, I knew that they were extremely, extremely talented and they were making amazing things. I was like, so if that, if I'm still here, that must mean that I am also amazing and making incredible things. And it took that. I mean, it, it it makes me a little sad to think how how insecure I was the first uh, six episodes. And finally, I got to a place where I'm like, you know, I'm I'm here to have fun. Like, I'm here to just learn and experience. And you know, I I never felt like I was in it to win from the beginning. Like, I just wanted to come and try it, basically. So to get as far as I did, I feel like that really made me think. Like, I you know, I had not been giving myself enough credit, and you know. Maybe I do have a, a talent here that that's unique and and worthy of celebrating. Um, so being on the show also kind of coincided with the birth of our first niece, and so we were planning on moving back east so we could be closer to our family. And so it seems like, you know, the perfect timing to just see if I can make it work as a career. We were going to be living with my parents while we looked for a house, so we would be saving a little money if, if it went horribly. And fortunately, it did not go horribly. I landed on my feet and, and kind of hit the ground running from there. Sure. Yeah, so I'm curious, when you were, when you went on the show, um, what did you, 
what skills could, were you able to transfer from making miniatures or was there things that you um, learned that you didn't even realize that uh, you were able to apply <laughs> to making well, bigger things? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's surprisingly like the planning process is the same. So that's great because if you're sketching a project, you know, you just go larger and then there's someone there to help you, you know, use uh, a table saw instead of an exacto knife. So that's great because I definitely got over the fear of working with some of the larger tools just by being there. But fortunately for me, the very first project out of the gate, what the first project on episode one was a project that was making a toy. So I made, I got to make a miniature and right. Usually miniatures take a long time, so it was not my most refined piece, but <laughs> but it was still fun to be able to create something. It was it was an homage to Martin Hamster and a little garden scene. So it was fun to just kind of be able to showcase that on on a, a platform that that had never previously had miniaturists. Right. That's probably helped um that you had a different skill set than things they've presented before to help you, you know, be be yeah, on the show. To get on the show, yeah, exactly, definitely. Because I think that's definitely was one of the goals of that show was to challenge people. You know that they, you know, they knew you had, you know, creativity, and you were able to, you know, take your ideas and turn them into reality. And that was the skill that they were looking for. Definitely, and I think with making it a lot of the, they really just wanted to see like that the ideas were there because there was a team. I mean, Jimmy Duresta is on site to help you execute everything. So as long as you can, can come up with an idea and like generally have an idea of how to execute it, like there were, there was a team there to help you make it happen. And that was, I mean, unbelievable because the helpers they had on that show were also incredibly talented. They could have you know, easily been been winners of every season of making it. And, <laughs> right. you know, so it was just nice to have all those people to learn from. And, and you know, even the, the your fellow contestants, each of them had such a different background from taxidermy to to woodworking to from everything, you know, so it's pretty cool. Yeah. And it, that was one thing that about the show, at least they showed it, um, was that everybody kind of was you know, they weren't working together, but they were always encouraging each other and, you know, and willing, you know, wanted to see everybody succeed. Right. And I think that's not usual for competition shows. Most right. of the time it's cutthroat or there's, you know, big competitions, someone's throwing else, someone's pie on the floor. But I, you know, I, and I don't, I say this to a lot of people, like I don't, I didn't see myself as someone who wanted to be on a reality competition show. Like reality television was not my directory or my direct like line of my goal or anything. And, um, but being, you know, watching making it and seeing how kind everyone was to one another and, you know, how encouraging Nick and Amy were, it really just made me feel like that was a place I could test out and learn something, which is one of the reasons I wanted to be on it. And now, you know, I'm still so close with a lot of the contestants from my season, actually even contestants from previous seasons, which is nice because everyone's kind of has this very shared shared unique experience that we right. all can kind of reflect on so that's pretty cool absolutely um and i know that um a lot of people that i talk to who watch the show they're always like and, and nick and amy said the same thing they didn't want to send anybody home right so. yeah <laughs> well that's why the first the first episode of our season they had like a twist where they the first episode they added two people instead of 
sending Take anyone home. Away, right, yeah. Yeah, and so I, the first minute, I was like, oh my goodness, does this mean we're all going to be here for the whole season? But no, it wasn't no. that. But it was at least better than sending anyone home because no one wants to go home on the first episode. You have barely had a chance to to right. make any traction. So I'm, yeah, I'm glad yeah, so give people a chance that. to, you know, you know, get used to this whole experience. Right, because right, you're not usually crafting under such pressure. So this one, one practice session, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I don't know if, I can't remember if I had this idea or if I heard it from someone else was um, that what they should do, one of the things we thought they should do was have, if you, uh, you know, if you didn't make it through that round that you then, everybody would come back and like help the other people <laughs> so they could still be... <laughs> I would have you know, loved you know, build like a giant team. So at the end, you have like two people with the team of. Oh my gosh! <laughs> they should they should do that. Honestly, I wish they. I'm not sure. Like they haven't officially canceled the show, but there hasn't been a new season in three years. Right. Um. So, but I just think it was such such a good show. Like easily one of my favorite shows before being on. Even if I had never gotten on the show, right. and I love that there was opportunities for things like that too. Like just bringing people back and. Yeah, that was a missed opportunity. You should you should let someone know. <laughs> right, yeah. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure I, like, I don't tweet it or something. <laughs> NBC, <laughs> okay, obviously, okay. they read all those. So. Yes, of course, definitely. <laughs> so when you watched it, you watched this first season of the show. Did you did you know about the show before, like the call for contestants before it came out? The original, no, or did you I, watch I did. the show first? I watched the show first. And as, you know, as soon as it was un- kind of announced publicly, um, that it was going to be airing all of my friends and family. Like they know that I love parks and rec. They were like, Oh my gosh, like you need to see this show. You need to apply for this show. So it was definitely in my, in my like mind from the very beginning. But when I started watching, I mean, it was just like, it was so much better than I even thought because it was just kind and and wonderful. Right. Yep. Yeah. And the judges too were just so much like fun. They made everything fun, you know, and yeah. not um, scary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're not, they're not telling you you're, you're a worthless piece of garbage. Right. <laughs> yeah, no. And even, you know, there's so many things that didn't make it onto the show that I just remember from like, you know, I wish I had footage from behind the scenes because there was so many just wonderful moments of, of everyone, the judges and, and Nick and Amy all together, just being like silly and funny and just having a great time. And I feel like, I wish I wish the show could be each episode could be 10 hours long so I could just like, relive the whole thing. <laughs> sure. Although no one would watch it except for me. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I mean, it, it's yeah. You always like wish for that. But then you're like, well, maybe, you know, I think if you saw the show that was not edited would, at all. Yeah. You would be like, this is kind of boring. <laughs> yes. Me, me cutting the same piece over and over again for yeah, yeah. three hours. <laughs> Yeah, that's why uh, Jimmy speeds up his videos there. Yeah, exactly. Right, just you just want to see the you know the again he says the moments of transformations. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I was I have this you know I go back to this thing of uh, problem solving and you know building confidence. So, like you said, you said you you know the show gave you confidence. Um, do you, can you think of things that you learned like about, you know, yourself or your skills and, you know, your capabilities from being on the show? I mean, there were so many tools that I used for the first time on that show. Like I, you know, I, like I had used a table saw before and I had used a miter saw before, but like 
it was usually under the vision of like the shop supervisor. And, right. you know, while there were still helpers on the show, like there was a lot of times where it was like, you know, you're, you're on a timeline. You just have to like get over your fear and just do it. And so it was just, you know, grabbing those tools and making it happen. And I think, you know, after the show aired, I ended up, you know, within reason, because we were still living in a tiny apartment, buying, you know, some of those tools that had originally scared me and made me a little uncomfortable. And and now I use them all the time in my shop, like every day, unsupervised by myself. (laughs) I just think that like, you know, the, the kind of like, either you have to get over it or, or you're not going to finish your project on time, definitely forced you to just, just face your fears and just go for it. Right. And then yeah, having all those examples of people, you know, and just the support, you know, that you knew was there. Yeah. And um, also, you know, there, there's something to the fact that, you know, people are coming around when your project is half finished and you just have to be able to talk about it. And, you know, probably before that, I wasn't really sharing progress of how I was making things. I was just showing the final product, like in its perfect, best, you know, best light. And I think, you know, seeing the kind of rough start to how things get made, made it a little bit easier to share things on social media that weren't perfect and pristine. Like now I I post tons of the behind the scenes videos, which I probably wouldn't previously have done because I just was waiting for everyone to see the final perfect piece. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah. Uh, thinking about that is, you know, yeah, you're working on a project, you're trying to finish this thing and they come up and ask you questions about it. You're like, Oh, now I have to think about what I'm going to do next. And, you know, right. th- was there anything that, um, you know, when they started asking you questions that you either changed your mind or you're like, wait a second, uh, is there a better way to do this? Oh my gosh. I, every time they came to your table, you know, <laughs> Simon and Dana would say, what about this? And you're like, what about that? I was going to do that. You just, just need to walk away and I can get to it. Uh, but I mean, there was one project on the show that was, it was like a new concept where they, I think it was called like procrastocraft or something where um, it was a one hour craft. And previously every, every project had been at least three hours and so they were coming around trying to, you know, make chit chat and you were, you just ignored them because there was no time. <laughs> I was like, I don't have, and there was no like extra materials. You had to just like use what was laying around. So that was definitely a uh, uh, no, no time for, for, for chit chat. No time for anyone giving me input, or changing my idea because no, you're like, I just this make this thing. Yeah. <laughs> this has to be done. You know, again, <laughs> yeah. you know, if it was something that was critical, and you made it in an hour, you're like, that would be like, okay, this is the prototype. Now I'm going to make it again. Right. <laughs> exactly. Better and, learned, and with more know? precision. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you never, you never just have, you know, that short of a time right. to, uh, if it's a job. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, well, unless no. again, you, you work on a TV show and they're like, yes, that's true. This problem that's true. For this one then it shot. probably happens. Yeah. Every day, every day, every day. Yeah. So you did, you learned a lot about uh, new tools and stuff and, I know, you know, last, I don't know, I don't remember exactly how long it's been, but you've, um, you, you bought a new house that needed a little bit of work or, or maybe yes. a lot of work. <laughs> a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, we, um, we had a kind of a hard time, you know, obviously I guess house hunting in any environment is, is difficult, but first time buyer when the market was a little crazy, um, we, we knew that we were open to getting something that was a fixer upper, but, uh, 
I don't know that there could have been a worse home inspection. <laughs> and so it definitely scared us a little bit. But, you know, my my parents are retired and my dad is a, a pretty handy guy. So um, my husband's parents would come and help us. So basically everyone just kind of like lent a hand and we've been doing as much as we can by ourselves. And that includes like, you know, relaying a patio and and scrubbing a pool that looked like it was a... a swamp <laughs> we moved mm-hmm. in right um lots of like the smaller stuff and then you know there's definitely some bigger projects to come but uh those those will hire experts for <laughs> oh of course i mean i think that you know with the house is the scope is so huge but yeah um yeah do you think that you know basically having those previous experiences helped you have give you more confidence that you would be able to you know turn this house into you know what you, you know, your vision of it. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, most of the tools, like I, I had not, I had not built any aside from like one TV cabinet, which was that one project I did at the woodworking or the, the school wood shop. I didn't have any big projects under my belt. And when it came to making it, that was my, I mean, especially, you know, materials are expensive and having a TV show saying we're going to foot the bill for you to make whatever. And you could just kind of, that definitely helps. So, you know, I got to make things that I probably wouldn't have ever had a reason to make. And I think without that, I'm, there's all those tools that like I've put to use so many times in the new house. And I'm, I'm just grateful that I had a chance to, to practice on someone else's dime. (laughs) For sure. Get it right first. Um, Yeah. Maybe we just, we do need like more, you know, shop class, more of these creative um, act opportunities for for everybody, young people and, and you know, adults, too, because, I, you know, I work with a lot of schools and some of the schools have, you know, very basic shop and they really don't get a lot into it. Some of them have, you know, um, uh, industrial CNC machines, oh, yeah. and, uh, plasma, you know, uh, you know, CNC plasma tables and stuff. Um, some of the you work with they build like a building like so they have a, a construction trades class where they actually build a building so that yeah you know, i know the difference is it's, yeah yeah it's so it's so diverse obviously some are better than others but mm-hmm. it is it is nice to see especially like a lot of these more modern tools making their ways into schools because there's something like i know um like glowforge laser cutter company has like just partnering with schools and you know, I just can't imagine like if if I had that in high school, like it just really I mean, when I did have it in college, it opened my eyes to so many possibilities and so many different things right. that you can make and and prototype quickly. So I think it's it's really cool to see those machines making their way into into like lower, lower levels of education. Right. And just I mean, there's kids people. in elementary school laser cutting now. And I'm like, what? That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 3D printers. They have uh, yeah. a lot of stuff. So. It is really great to see. You know, I definitely wish I had those. Obviously, I didn't invent those things when I was in school. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, probably well, the, same for me, too. <laughs> but we, you know, we did have a shop class. We had a giant bandsaw and stuff. So I always have, you know, always loved bandsaw since seventh grade. So, yeah, you get your feet wet in whatever way, in whatever way you can. Uh, one of the things that uh, reminded me was, like you said, you were making, you know, tiny furniture. Um, and then, so you were able to just basically kind of scale that up in making it to solve some of the problems, right? Because you're like, well, I understand the basics of making yeah. things, but I guess there are structural differences between like a little tiny chair and a one someone actually can sit in. 
Yes, that's absolutely true. And also, if I was making a chair, I probably wouldn't support it purely with wood glue. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. But yeah, the other thing is, you know, I did have I had a background in in constructing things. So I do know how things get constructed. You know, as a landscape architect, there was plenty of times we were designing pergolas and roof structures. And and so I did have that background, but I've never been the one to actually bring it to life like i knew how to draw it in cad but i never had a reason to build it so it was fun especially there was one um project where i was making like a pergola structure on the show and i think that it was really cool to see that these ideas that i was drawing actually function and pass Mm -hmm. (laughs) structural tests can hold a a person and so it was kind of cool in that sense oh that's that's super cool (laughs) i appreciate that one of the things you just posted recently on Instagram was about um, the Connecticut Snowmouse Hall. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that. Um, so just, you know, going out and exploring around the landscape around your, your house out there in the woods and yeah. um, paying attention to uh, wildlife activities in the snow. It's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, there's so much to to gain inspiration from just if you just take a walk outside and I mean, a lot of times I'll gather materials to make things, um, little stones to make a little stone wall and all sorts of things like that. So, and I think that sort of thing, like I did a project when we were living in California and it was kind of peak pandemic, um, where I went around and made miniature versions of highway signs and kind of placed them right beneath the actual highway sign. And you know, it wasn't something that a lot of people were going to see because you have to be walking beside them. But for the people that did notice, I felt like it was a little reward, like a little piece of like whimsical art that would make you smile. And I feel like it was the same thing, like the the mouse hole for anyone who has no idea what we're talking about. Uh, <laughs> Chicago has a famous like imprint of a rat or a squirrel in the concrete that has recently gained like huge popularity on social media for who knows what reason, the weird things that humans love. And as I was walking in the snow, I saw a little imprint of a mouse that had fallen off a roof or something. And it just like, it was so charming to see that little shape. And, you know, it's just those kind of funny things that if you pay attention to them, they they have a chance to inspire you and and at least make you smile. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, what's one of my giant themes is uh, paying attention to things, um, you know, because the more... Now that you've noticed that, you'll probably every time you go outside, you'll see you'll see more, and you'll kind of quite learn about uh, behavior <laughs> of the wildlife, you know, around yeah, your house. Totally. I mean, yeah, yeah. Even yesterday, I was walking, I was walking around and like seeing little foot tracks in the snow. And um, you know, this is an old house. We've we've definitely had mice issue, and I mm-hmm. saw little mouse tracks going right up to the house, and I was like, okay, uh, I guess this is where they're coming in. So right. Come spring, I'll have a, a place to focus my um, renovation work. Of course, yeah, and that's definitely the the biggest key to um, you know keeping out the things you want <laughs> is finding you know finding out how their you know their highway there where where their entrance is and uh, yeah, and it, it's a little tricky because I do I am very partial to Martin the hamster, you know, mm-hmm. so I have a little I have a soft spot for these little mice, and right. I'm not I don't want to send them packing completely, but I definitely don't want them rustling in my walls and eating my electrical work oh exactly yeah uh, yep yeah he's like the, <laughs> i'm you know perfectly happy for these uh creatures to exist uh just yeah. but they don't necessarily belong inside my house so 
Yeah, exactly. Maybe I need to make them a really stylish miniature condominium like on the other side of the property so that they'll... Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's definitely a, a precedent for that. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, f- f- folks have built, uh, you know, tiny structures for, you know, whatever types of small rodents are in their, uh, you know, neighborhood. Oh, yeah. And I just got to figure out a heating solution because otherwise they're going to come back. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, you know, they, they know how to build a warm nest. They, they've been out in the woods for a while. <laughs> I need them to, I need them to, uh, to get out of the walls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Definitely, uh, definitely always a, a challenge, you know, but. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, um, that was a lot of fun. I, like to thank you yeah. for uh, hanging out with me today. Uh, where can people check out what you're working on? Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. It was great talking to you. Um, the easiest place to to find all of my work is chelseamakes.com. Um, I'm on Instagram at chelseamakes, and you can find me on TikTok as well at chelseamakesca. But you'll find all the links you want and everything to to Martin's book and my new book on chelseamakes.com. Excellent. Thanks. And I'd like to take a second to thank the people over at Patreon who help support the show, especially by top patrons, Sean Beckner, Brian Callahan, and Ed Johns. If you're interested in supporting the show, you can get access to the after show with a little bit more of conversation with our guest. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash making problems to solve. You can also just leave a review or share the show with a friend. You can follow the show on Instagram at Making Problems to Solve. And you can follow me on Instagram at Dave Bauer Art. Before I go, I want to mention a new woodworking podcast, Woodworking is BS, with Paul Jasper, Eric Curtis, and Mary Sai. Mary was just on the show uh, last week, and their new podcast is about design, inspiration, and the philosophy of making. Uh, they got a couple episodes out, and it's... um. It's something different, so check it out. Thanks a lot for talking to me today. Yeah, it was great chatting.